message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, hello again everyone at uh, Jubilee Church in Derby. Uh, my name is Sam. Wonderful to be able to be speaking with you this morning. Thank you to Graham and the team for inviting me to share with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, we are reading from Acts chapter 8, from verse 26. Acts chapter 8, from verse 26. Uh, one thing that I love about uh, Graham and Sarah and your team and the church and Christ Central Churches uh, is that there is such a love for uh, God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and there is an expectation that as Christians we will encounter God and be filled with his Holy Spirit and be led by his Holy Spirit and keep in step with his Holy Spirit and uh, this morning's passage gives us an example of someone who is very clearly led and prompted by the Holy Spirit. And uh, what that involves for him might not be what we always think of when we imagine someone uh, being filled and being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we're going to think this through together. Uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 26 uh, and we're going to go down to verse uh, 39. Let me pray and then we're going to read this and I'm going to share some thoughts as we go through the passage. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that we can uh, be uh, together as Christians across continents this morning uh, through the internet. We thank you for the gift that we can uh, that allows us to do this. Uh, we thank you that you are the God of heaven and of earth, God of all of the nations. Uh, thank you that you have a heart for Derby, such a love for Derby, a love for Siem Weeping, Cambodia. I thank you that you are with all of us now by your spirit. We thank you for Jesus, our friend, our king, our saviour. Would you help us to hear uh, from you this morning? And please help me as I share. Okay. Amen. Let's uh, read the first part of the passage. So uh, Acts chapter 8 verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, uh, Rise up and go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, uh, a court official of Candace, queen of, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seating in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Uh, so we have two main characters in our story. Uh, the first is Philip. Now we know that Philip was made uh, a deacon, a kind of one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he is great at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are from different cultures. Uh, so he has been in the area uh, called Samaria, 
previously to this passage, uh, sharing the good news. Uh, we know that he has uh, four daughters who are also prophets, who, who prophesy, who in some way share the word of God with other people, what God has put on their hearts. And we read about that later in the book of Acts. Um, Philip is a Greek name, and it sounds like he is speaking Greek in this passage with the man from Ethiopia. So that's Philip. He is uh, Jewish by his heritage with a Greek name, uh, some kind of Greek culture and Greek language in his history, uh, a family man, and uh, he has been in Jerusalem and then in Samaria and is now on a journey uh, led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other man is known as the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, so we can be 99% sure this man was a black African man. Uh, Ethiopia is just to the south of Egypt and he has a really high ranking job. He basically is like the chancellor of the exchequer or the head of the bank of Ethiopia. He's in charge of all of the finances for uh, the queen in Ethiopia. And uh, he is a high official black person. He's a eunuch. Now, um, this means, and this is, this is a little bit kind of squeamish, uh, he had been castrated, which is, for, for our modern uh, ears, unusual. Uh, that didn't happen in the land of Israel, but around other parts of the Middle East, Asia and Africa. Uh, sometimes men were castrated. And in this instance, it is most likely because he was a high-ranking official who worked, uh, had access to the queen uh, in her palace or in her court. And civil servants of, of that kind of ranking who had that access to a female member of the royal family were often castrated so that they could never be accused of having an affair with the queen or with a princess. Uh, so, that, so that when the queen princess has a baby, no one can ever question, well, maybe it was one of her attendants, okay? So that's the reason why. So uh, he's therefore not a family man. Uh, he is single. He is from a different culture to Philip, a different color skin. So Philip and the man from Ethiopia are, are completely different in, in their cultures. They probably would never have even crossed paths with each other in their day-to-day -day life. Um, remarkably, this is astonishing, uh, this Ethiopian has some kind of uh, awareness of the Jewish religion. Uh, he has a copy of their scriptures, most likely in Greek. Uh, he is reading the book of Isaiah, that's a prophet from the Old Testament who prophesied about 700 years before Jesus Christ lived on the earth. Um, and he has actually made a journey from Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem to be able to go and see for himself the Jewish faith being practiced in the temple, their central focus of religious life. And this is a huge journey like about a thousand or even more kilometers. This is 2000 years ago. You have to ask, uh, how did he get there? Did he have to ask permission to borrow some of the horses and a chariot from 
uh, the queen? Did he have to buy his own chariot? Uh, how did he pay for his staff? He wouldn't have been on his own. How did he pay for his staff who were with him to look after the horses and to be like his administrators? Uh, how did he stay safe on all these uh, roads in, in the desert, like awful conditions, like weather-wise? And where did he get his water, his food? Uh, he has taken a, a huge risk at huge expense, there was no guarantee he would survive this enormous journey just to go and see for himself the temple in Jerusalem. He had this intrigue in, in the Jewish religion, in the God of Israel. But if you know, uh, in the temple in Jerusalem, there are different courts, different like layers that people could go to, and uh, Gentiles, so those who are not Jews, and also eunuchs, they weren't even allowed into the, the main place where the main action takes place. So he, he couldn't actually even see the, the most powerful moments of sacrifices being made and people uh, receiving from God, God's love and offering to him uh, their worship and prayer. So he's made this huge journey uh, out of his own expense, his own intrigue. Um, and he's now on his way back. Uh, then we have... Philip, and let's look at what happens to Philip. And I want us to see uh, the supernatural element of Philip's uh, involvement here. So verse 26, uh, who speaks to Philip? It is an angel, uh, an angel of the Lord. So that means that God himself had a mission for Philip and God commissioned an angel to go and meet Philip and say to him, okay, stop what you're doing. I want you to go uh, towards the south on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, often in stories in the Bible where an angel appears, the angel says the words do not fear because angels had such an imposing, holy, magnificent, terrifying presence. And you, you wonder if that happened with Philip, if he was in awe of this angel, but it wasn't just recorded. We don't know. Um, but it's a very clear mission, very specific. Go and get on this road. Uh, Philip obeys. Uh, we're not sure if Philip had questions that he maybe asked God in prayer, if he said anything back to the, to the angel. But the impression is that Philip just gets up and goes. Uh, I think it's amazing that he was that willing, that ready, that prepared to obey God when God had given him just this one piece of the jigsaw. And maybe in our lives, we want God to give us the, the full picture, to tell us uh, step one, step two, step three, step four of our whole lives. But often God just gives us a little bit of information and what he's looking for is us to respond to him uh, in faith and in obedience. And we see that with Philip remarkably. Uh, so Philip gets on the road and uh, he is getting near to the man, the Ethiopian man who is in his chariot. Um, verse 29. Is it the angel who speaks to Philip again? No, it's not. It's now the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that God sends an angel to give Philip the first instruction. But for whatever reason, in verse 29, uh, it is now 
God himself through the Holy Spirit who gives uh, Philip the next instruction, which is to go over and join this chariot. Uh, the chariot was not stationary, it was moving. Um, so Philip ran to him. Um, God has ordained this thing. He asks Philip to trust him and obey him without much instruction in the first step. In the second step, uh, God asks Philip to do something at, in, and it involves Philip doing some work, doing something hard. Uh, God could have caused the Ethiopian eunuch to stop. He doesn't. He tells Philip, OK, you've got to get on the move. You've got to get going. You have to get running. Get those legs going, Philip, and get alongside that chariot. Just a, a, a brief story. Uh, my family and I, so Abby, our two girls, were a few years ago in Tenby in South Wales with all of Abby's side of her family, her parents and uh, siblings and in-laws and their children. And we were on a beach in Tenby and uh, we were kind of sitting up the bank and uh, an ice cream van drove onto the beach maybe 25 meters ahead of us and was just driving along by the sea up the beach. And uh, everyone said, oh, I wonder if they're selling ice creams. Is he going to stop? And so I was sent on a mission uh, to run down to the beach, to run down to the ice cream van and, and to ask him, hey, have you got any 99s? And uh, uh, as I got near the ice cream van, I thought he would stop, but he didn't stop. He hadn't seen me. He just kept driving up the beach. And there was a scene where I was on the beach running, saying, excuse me, uh, hi, excuse me, have you got any 99s? And he didn't even know I was there. And finally he saw me and he said, oh, I'm just going to turn around and I'm going to park up over there. And so I was running. Um, I got back to where the family was sitting. They were in hysterics because they had just seen me running and running and running alongside the ice cream van, trying to get his attention. They didn't see me at all. They thought it was very funny. But I, I can tell you, when you're running alongside a, a moving vehicle, it involves a bit of work. And sometimes God asks us to do things that aren't easy, uh, that require us to do some things that can be difficult or tiring or need some discipline or for us to take a step out of our comfort zone. And uh, Philip then draws near and uh, he says in verse 30, so Philip ran to him. Again, Philip is uh, obedient. Uh, I wonder what Philip is making of this chariot. It, it would have looked to him foreign. Maybe different kinds of inscriptions on the chariot. Uh, the staff of the unit must have looked different, had different kind of clothing. Uh, and Philip runs to him and he is this man is, is reading from the, the Old Testament. And then Philip asks him a question. Okay, so, so Philip is the one who initiates the conversation. Philip takes the first step to make a connection with someone from a completely different culture, a completely different background. Um, sorry, I just lost my place. One second. And Philip says to him, do you understand what you are reading? Uh, Philip must have been aware this is not someone who you see at the temple uh, every day. And then the man says to him, how can I unless someone guides me? And then this is remarkable. And he invited Philip 
to come up and sit with him. So we go from the angel, go on the road, the Holy Spirit, get near him. Philip then instigates a conversation and the Ethiopian eunuch says to this man, do you want to come and sit in my chariot? And you have these two men. Look different, sound different, different clothes, different customs, sitting together side by side doing a Bible study. And uh, the passage in question is a famous passage from Isaiah 53, where Isaiah is uh, led by God, looking forward and prophesying about what would happen to Jesus. And then uh, these words are the words that they were reading. Like a sheep, he, Jesus, was led to the slaughter. Very powerful words. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. Jesus at any point could have stopped the whole ordeal where he was put on trial, a Mickey Mouse trial where he was struck, where he had to go before Pilate and be interrogated, where the crowd was shouting to Pilate to have him crucified, and where he was nailed to a cross alongside two real criminals, where the crowd was then saying, I, I thought you were the saviour, you, you can't even come down, save yourself. But Jesus was willing to go through that with, without rebuking people, allowing this to happen to him. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Uh, we live in Cambodia that is known as an honor shame culture, uh, where they focus more on not having a sense of guilt about having done something wrong, which is often how we talk about sin, and wrongdoing as I've broken a law and I feel guilty or I am guilty. But they talk here in Cambodia more about uh, I have not honoured people, I have been disloyal, I have let down my family, uh, I have humiliated or I feel humiliated. So this, this language in humiliation, this is the language of, of, of shame that, that Jesus, yes, experienced physical pain on the cross, that yes, in some way, there was an interruption in his fellowship with his father, but he also experienced humiliation of being crucified as a criminal. Uh, the Roman Empire was saying, you've gone up against us and we have crushed you. Very shameful experience. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, uh, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? A amazing. This man is reading this passage, trying to understand what's going on. This is a very logical question. Who is this person that goes through this just terrible experience? And for Philip, this is just a wonderful chance. He is a very good evangelist, good at sharing his faith. And it says, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I have learned to be so important in only the last seven, eight, nine years is that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Uh, the whole story is about what God has done, is doing, will do for his creation, for us, 
through Christ, his death, his resurrection from the dead, how God is making a new creation or will make a new creation one day. How God brings to us his love, his forgiveness, his acceptance, adoption into God's family, that we are brought into God's kingdom, all because of what Christ has done, this, the good news about Jesus. Our churches, we must share this good news all, all the time. It's very important for us in our forthcoming church plant that one of our main values is that we talk a lot, we sing a lot, we will pray a lot, we will read the Bible a lot, looking at what Jesus has done for us. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. He baptized him. Sorry. Um, I will let Graham and the, the team uh, be the ones to explain the meaning of baptism and, and how at Jubilee people are baptized. I just want to talk about um, culture and religion for a few minutes. Uh, if you think about uh, the main religions in the world, they are often uh, really heavily linked to a place, to a kind of clothing, uh, to a river or a city or a particular culture. So if you think about Islam, um, the vast majority of Muslims live either in North Africa, uh, in the Middle East, or perhaps in South Asia and across in Indonesia. That's where most Muslims in the world live. Close-ish, or really close to where the religion came from in Saudi Arabia. And of course, Mecca and Medina are the two holy cities that you have in Islam. And uh, the Quran is linked very closely to the language of Arabic. And so, as my cat. And so Islam is, is really heavily connected to uh, Arabic, to Saudi Arabia, to Mecca and to Medina, to particular styles of dress. Uh, think about Hinduism. Uh, most Hindus, like over 90% of Hindus live in India, where the religion came from. And the, the river Ganges is a really important river. It's seen as like a, a holy place where you can uh, be be washed clean and made pure in the river. Uh, Buddhism, which is the main religion in Cambodia, Buddhism uh, is really highly focused on Southeast Asia. And uh, Buddhist monks, as you probably know, have a shaved head and these kind of saffron color robes. And, and you can imagine what a Buddhist temple looks like. But Christianity is completely unique in the world religions in that it has spread across the whole world and is increasingly becoming uh, focused less so much on Europe and North America and more focused on or in sorry South America, Africa and and Asia and baptism is an example of how the Christian faith can come into any culture and can be expressed within that culture without saying, well, you have to go to this place or learn this language or go to this river or put on these kind of clothes. So baptism just needs water. Water is the only thing that you need. And obviously the people to get baptized. And 
I've been to baptisms in a formal Anglican church in the UK. I've been to baptisms in Phnom Penh in Cambodia, where uh, they don't have these kind of like portable tanks of water like we might have in England. Uh, they got a paddling pool, like a kid's paddling pool that was quite large, filled up with water. And these young men, they, they kind of lie down in the water and everyone splashed water over their heads because they couldn't afford to go and rent out a swimming pool. And the river in Plum Pen is really quite dirty and there's no real clean lake here. Uh, people all over the world on the Sunday will get baptised in rivers, in lakes, in swimming pools, in formal churches, in like kind of erected uh, like baptismal tanks that we might have in England. Um, the Christian faith does, is not tied to any one place, uh, a city. Philip doesn't say, well, we have to face Jerusalem to baptise you or have to say some words in, in Hebrew. Uh, the Christian faith is for all cultures and baptism is an example of that. It can be expressed in all kinds of ways that are suitable to cultures all over the world. And this is what I want to close with. Um, for Philip, being led by the Holy Spirit meant doing something where he trusted God without knowing the whole story. I mean, he had to do some work and he had to go and get close to someone from a completely different culture to him. And he was brave and he began to speak to that person. And then God had prepared the Ethiopian's man heart so that he actually invited Philip into his chariot. And I, I, I want to suggest to Jubilee Church Derby, you live in such a multicultural city. And I want to say to, to everyone in your church, whatever your skin colour is or your background, uh, God wants us to be men and women who are ready and willing to get to know people from other cultures and to befriend those from other cultures and to do some of the hard work of understanding how other cultures work and of course making the odd mistake now and then as we do that. Uh, and asking God to help us to feel comfortable as we do that. Because for some people, this is far from easy, uh, speaking to those who might be from a different background to us. And wouldn't it be amazing if as you were doing that in Derby, and as we're doing that in Siem Reap, if we came across people from other cultures who God had put in their hearts an interest in who God is and what God is doing in the world, and that they might then receive us and welcome us into their lives, into their chariots. Derby is a city full of men and women loved by God. What a great chance you have there and that we have in Siem Reap to get to know people of other cultures. To try and share with them this good news about Jesus and to do so in a way that they can relate to because of what their culture is like. That we might build friendships with people and sit down in people's houses and eat different kinds of food and see different kinds of artwork in people's houses. But ultimately what we're praying for is that God would open up hearts. We might be able to look at the Bible with them, share the good news with them about Jesus and hopefully baptise people in Jubilee Church Derby and in Grace Church in Siem Reap. Thank you for your time. 
God bless you. I hope that has uh, spoken and been an encouragement to you. And thank you again to Graham and the team for inviting us to share with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.